This is Alumni Allowed, a podcast by Graduate Center students for Graduate Center students. In each episode, we talk with a GC graduate about their career path, the ins and outs of their current position, and the career advice they have for students. This series is sponsored by the Graduate Center's Office of Career Planning and Professional Development. I'm Abby Turner, a PhD candidate in educational psychology at the Graduate Center. I work in the Office of Career Planning and Professional Development, and I interviewed Julie, who earned her PhD in criminal justice from the Graduate Center. She is now a wildlife crime research officer at the United Nations Office of Drugs and Crime in Vienna, Austria. So today I have Julie Violas on the phone with me, and she's going to be telling us about her job in the UN. She can tell us the specific office. And she graduated from the Graduate Center with her PhD in criminal justice. So hi, Julie. Hi, how are you? So thanks for joining us today. We would love to hear all about the interesting things that you do at your job. Your job is very different. I imagine it's really different even from other criminal justice graduates. So um, why don't you first kind of introduce where you are and what your position is? Sure, no problem. So um, I am based out of Austria in Vienna, and I work as the wildlife crime research officer for the crime research section of the UN Office on Drugs and Crime. So I'm responsible for uh, UNODC's portfolio of any research that relates to wildlife poaching, wildlife trafficking, and my role is to do research that then helps our operations team that works to fight wildlife crime in different countries all around the world. Wow. Okay. So give me a little bit of your, your education background. So it looks like your undergrad was in biology. Yeah. So I, um, I have an undergraduate degree in actually biology and then a self-designed major in forensic science. Uh, I also happened to do a minor in music in clarinet performance. But then I moved on to uh, directly to actually a PhD in criminal justice, and I focused my dissertation on looking at human leopard conflict and how to apply crime prevention principles to stop the illegal killing of leopards. And where did your dissertation research take place? So the bulk of the fieldwork was actually done in South Africa. I went there for a conference to present on art theft, which I was studying at the time. And I wanted to do some volunteer work on the back end and ended up calling up a uh, game farm out there that was looking for volunteers. And my dissertation supervisor suggested I think about dissertation topics while I was there. And it just happened that they were having problems with leopard poaching. Uh, although they don't call it poaching in that um, in that region, but uh, and I ended up going and interviewing a bunch of people that had killed leopards in the area as part of just something that was fun, but also as as an initial idea towards my dissertation, and it became a full fledged dissertation eventually. Oh wow, that is really interesting. So you you started with art though. I started with a lot of things. I mean, I was originally. Okay. Um, <laughs> I was originally going to be a terrorism scholar. Uh, I was looking at women's radicalization into terrorist groups. And uh, I was not a U.S. citizen uh, and still am not. And so what I realized was that in terms of jobs, that kind of uh, work coming from the United mm -hmm. States was probably going to be difficult for me to continue. And my dissertation supervisor left in the middle of what was my 
first few years of my PhD. So I ended up switching to a different advisor who encouraged me to go looking a little further afield in terms of topics. And so I ended up at the time I was doing some research on art theft and I went to South Africa to present on that. And because I was looking for some kind of fun stuff to do on the side, I ended up wanting to volunteer with a game farm that happened to have some issues with leopard killings uh, and ended up kind of spending time <laughs> interviewing a lot of farmers in the area that talked to me about this issue and realized that I could actually turn it into a dissertation without meaning to. Uh, so it gave me the perfect opportunity to basically do field work as kind of a more, I wouldn't say casual necessarily, but kind of as a, an, an opportunistic uh, occurrence. And I could build mm -hmm. trust easily because I was out there for different reasons. And it ended up, I gathered a lot of interview data that I ended up then turning into a dissertation. That's really awesome. How many languages do you speak? <laughs> Technically, too fluently, French and English, but I've also learned Spanish and German. Uh, so I'm not oh, quite great. as fluent in those, but I've got, I've got enough to, to get around. <laughs> okay, cool. Why don't you tell us kind of your path from graduate school? And as far as like the different jobs, um, maybe fellowships, um, places you've stopped along the way before you got you got to your position here. Sure. I guess I, I would almost start in my undergrad rather than than uh, grad school, because I think this kind of path was was um, unintentionally started very long ago. Um, during my third year in undergrad, I wanted to study abroad and I found a flyer for going to Kenya to study human wildlife conflict. So I went out um, to Kenya and spent a semester there in the field right next to a major national park and spent a lot of time doing community interviews about human wildlife conflict issues. And part of that is killings of wildlife, which is a form of poaching, um, if you define it very, uh, very strictly. And so that's where I started in terms of learning about the topic. And then, as I said, I went and did some terrorism work for grad school and went into criminology slash criminal justice. And so I went into terrorism because it was a subject that I was interested in, mostly the women's aspect of it. Uh, ended up having to switch advisor and got into this whole wildlife crime field. And when I was finishing my degree, I was trying to figure out where I was going to go because I still had a very strong background in just general criminology. So I could have done something that was not conservation or wildlife related. Uh, but I really had a passion to go back into the field and do some anti-poaching work. So I actually, the first job that I got was working for Interpol as an intern at the United Nations in New York, looking at environmental crime issues. Mm -hmm. And that was mostly on the policy side. And then after that, I actually got a call from a contact that I'd made several years before when I was presenting my PhD research at a um, conference in DC for conservation practitioners. And he called me up and he had a need for somebody to evaluate the anti-poaching component of the Central Africa Regional Program for the Environment that USAID runs in Central Africa. And he had gotten my name from knowing me at that conference and from a few other contacts. And he invited me to take part in the evaluation of this CARPE program as their wildlife crime advisor, essentially. 
So I left about a month later for a two-month mission to the DRC and the Republic of Congo and spent, yeah, about a month out in the field, six weeks out in the field evaluating all these kinds of anti-poaching projects and um, wildlife prosecution initiatives. And from there, I kept working with that company that was a subcontractor to the U.S. government and did some analysis on all this evaluation of this project. And what did I do after that? Uh, let's see. I then went on to Vietnam, was the next kind of full-time job that I had, where mm -hmm. I was hired by Michigan State University and working with a partnership of NGOs, um, World Wildlife Fund, uh, Global Wildlife Conservation, Fauna and Flora International. And they were looking to build a community crime prevention project uh, to stop illegal snaring in several national parks in the central Vietnam and region. What's snaring? Uh, so snaring is using kind of a wire trap to catch animals. Oh, okay. Uh, so you, you put down these traps and they essentially catch whatever walks through it. Uh, so they were looking to find a way to get the communities that are partly responsible for the behavior, but also um, that, you know, are good people on the ground to help deal with the snaring problem. They wanted to build a program where those community members would be responsible for stopping uh, hunters from going out and laying snares. So I went in to um, do kind of a pilot research work on that to see if it was even feasible and how you would set up that sort of program. And from there, I was living in Vietnam for about seven months. And I had been applying to the United Nations for quite a bit. Uh, it was one of the first kind of applications that I did on a regular basis when I was looking for jobs. And this job came up that was wildlife crime research officer. And I applied and, you know, I, I wasn't quite expecting to get it, I think, mostly because, you know, I had I had my sights set on staying in Vietnam and actually implementing this project that I had designed. Uh, and it turns out that after nine months of recruitment, they offered me the job. So I was wow. uh, I was nine quite happy ago? to <laughs> quite happy to make a move uh, yeah. and come back out here and kind of lead the research efforts on wildlife crime for UNODC. Uh, with a lot of potential for kind of building a bigger program because they're trying at least the, the goal for me is to to kind of really get a lot more research done on various topics right now we do global trafficking trends for wildlife um but we're trying to get much bigger than that so yeah i mean that's that's kind of the circuitous path uh mm -hmm. that i took <laughs> to get out here that's awesome um did you say it took nine months to from the time you applied to actually getting it yeah, I mean, something wow. in that nature. The UN <laughs> recruitment processes are quite long. <laughs> wow. Um, I, I believe I had some recruitment processes for the UN that lasted over two years before they pulled the plug on them. So. Wow. So it's pretty typical for the UN jobs to take that long. Yeah, it's a huge, hugely long recruitment process. Gotcha. Oh, my goodness. Um, OK, so and you had, let's go back to, you were, how were you looking for these UN jobs? You knew you wanted to be at the UN? Um, to be honest, it wasn't so much that I knew I wanted to be at the UN as much as there's not too many jobs in conservation that have the breadth in terms of worldwide coverage. There's also the access to resources and kind of the um, the influence that the UN has. I think for me, what I was looking for every time I was working was a job that would allow me to do a lot of field work and work on the ground, but also a job that allowed me to do research 
that I could then turn into projects that need to be implemented on the ground um, oh, and wow. research that involves communities. Right? From beginning exactly. to end. Exactly. Kind of so, yeah, that's awesome. So, yeah, I mean, it's, so I was very interested in going into the NGO world. The issue being that, you know, NGO personnel that work in conservation tend to have more of a kind of biology conservation background, which I didn't have. And so for me, it was easier to kind of go through the kind of traditional criminology structures <laughs> to then work on conservation issues. Uh, mm -hmm. And I mean, even when I was working in Vietnam, I was hired specifically because I was a criminologist and they were interested in finding a crime prevention solution. Um, mm -hmm. But it's not something that's, it's not a common, I guess, profile and a common job in conservation to be a criminologist. Mm -hmm. So if, when I look at these jobs, it was like, oh, there's a job in, I don't know, you know, working for Wildlife Conservation Society that requires somebody who's actually knowledgeable in law enforcement and crime. Okay, this is a job that I could apply to. So it was really uh, okay. just finding kind of that key job that actually mm -hmm. required my skill set or valued my skill set as opposed to applying to all sorts of organizations because a lot of time they just didn't have the profile in the jobs that they were putting out that I could fit. I see. Good. Well, that's that's awesome you, that you found the exact kind of fit that you needed. So why don't you kind of walk us through the day-to-day? -day. What is a day-to-day -day like at your job? I imagine it's very different day-to-day, -day, but why don't you give us some of <laughs> that you do? Sure. I mean, I'll, I'll give you a, a couple ideas of what day-to-day -day looks like in a few of the jobs that I've done, because I think it captures a big breath of what I could, you know, somebody that has my skill set or is interested in this field could do. Um, so, I mean, my day to day here at the UN is much more project management based. So I'm responsible for a team of consultants that goes out into the field in various countries that we're interested in gathering research information from. So, for example, I had a consultant out in Vietnam looking at illegal tiger farming. Um, I also have a consultant that is working on illegal uh, reptile trade and so is visiting a lot of reptile fairs all over the world and trying to figure out, you know, what animals are illegally being traded, what's, what are um, collectors looking for. So I spend a lot of time working with those consultants, designing exactly the type of research that they need to do to get the data that I want. That involves anything from basically going out and interviewing, you know, government personnel to actually going out and identifying species that are being illegally traded at different locations. And the goal is always to kind of essentially be able to show the major trends that are happening in terms of wildlife trafficking. So yeah, my day to day is mostly managing that. Um, for the UN, I also am running a project at the moment in collaboration with my operations colleagues, looking at women's involvement and also in wildlife crime, but also as solution makers. So we're trying to understand how gender dynamics shape the way that you would come up with strong and effective solutions to wildlife crime. Because right now, a lot of the solutions that we see are very enforcement heavy. So it's all about ranger teams and, you know, mm -hmm. how do you um, prevent offenders from being able to traffic across borders, which is usually customs. So a lot of heavy male dominated fields. So I'm mm -hmm. trying to bring in kind of the, the women that are involved in some of this enforcement to kind of understand what their role is in all this and why what they're doing is working. So to give you an example, um, I worked in um, the Republic of Congo and met a few women that were part of a mixed um, 
ranger team that were preventing mostly, yeah, mostly bushmeat hunting in some of these communities in Congo. And they were telling me that their male counterparts would send them to communities where they had tensions with rangers to kind of de-escalate the conflict and, and kind of smooth over relationships in the village so that the male rangers could go in and either arrest somebody who had committed a poaching um, crime or to be able to go and talk to the villagers to get information about some poaching that was happening in the region, for example. So I'm kind of, I'm running a project to look at, you know, how do these kind of gender dynamics play a role in finding good solutions? Yeah, uh, yeah so I mean, those are kind of the things I do. Um, I was going to say the other thing that I do also um, in different jobs is helping conservation organizations understand how um, to do proper crime preventions. Uh, now they're seeing this as a bigger and bigger problem and they're coming up with different ways to, to kind of tackle the problem. And a lot of them are have to do with law enforcement, have to do with arrests, prosecutions, but it's not something that a lot of conservationists who have a background in biology know about. So mm -hmm. I work with conservation organizations to understand, okay, well, what's the most effective way to prevent a crime? Um, how do you understand the psychology of offenders so that you can design good solutions to poaching um, that actually will stop somebody from killing an animal? Uh, you know, what are the pitfalls you need to watch out for? So mm -hmm. I do all sorts of work like that. Um, and a lot of my work is both sitting in an office and also just going out into the field and interviewing you know, people that work on these issues or community members that are affected by it or even poachers at times. Um, so yeah, depending on the project that I'm working on, I could be doing a lot of things. Wow, yeah. And so is is one of your jobs to kind of compile these reports from your various consultants? Yeah, so we publish at UNODC uh, every two years, usually um, the World Wildlife Crime Report, which looks at the major trends in wildlife trafficking. So I do that. Um, I've also in the past kind of compiled evaluation reports for different projects that do anti-poaching work. Um, I've also, you know, compiled essentially reports, technical reports, looking at how do you build um, crime prevention projects for poaching. So yeah, all sorts of reports. Um, I also do some advocacy and kind of policy work when I work at the UN, when I go and talk with different member states usually to get funding, but also just to discuss their strategies for wildlife crime and which in which directions they could go. To give to give you an example, I talked with, I was working with the French embassy in Vienna a few weeks ago, talking with the ambassador uh, and talking about, you know, which, where he should focus his efforts as a policymaker to stop wildlife crime from happening. So he was he wanted to build more coalitions among different agencies at the UN. And he also wanted maybe to come up with a kind of global wildlife crime convention. And I was arguing with him to do something slightly different to focus on, you know, we have all these different kinds of solutions to wildlife crime and how do you build a solution that starts from the point where somebody is killing an animal on the ground to the end of the prosecution where you've caught somebody, you know, that's been trafficking wildlife across borders and making millions of dollars and you're trying to prosecute them and put them in jail. So how do you find a solution that kind of works through that entire chain of events and it builds kind of a holistic approach to stopping wildlife crime? So, I mean, mm -hmm. it's all sorts of different kind of scenarios every day. Interesting. Okay, so talk with me a little bit about, because this is a skill 
you know, that we're always trying to work on as PhD students and as academics. How did you practice talking about your research to other people outside of academia? Um, I mean, I guess, to be honest, uh, I'm very focused on the results of things. Mm -hmm. uh, so I try to, when I work, for example, with governments, I give them examples of the concepts that I found. So I tell them, for example, with this gender and wildlife crime project that we're working on, I was telling colleagues that when you have hunters hunting bushmeat, one of the key elements of actually you know, that, that bushmeat eating process that people engage in later on is that you have women that have to cook the meat. And mm -hmm. so one of the goals of this project is to say, well, I know that women, for example, are always engaged in cooking any bushmeat that people snare, that their husbands snare generally. I know that I want to build a project that uses women's skill set um, to prevent wildlife crime. Well, here's one role in which women are, are active. If I told them that they shouldn't cook the bushmeat because of various health reasons, et cetera, and they stopped doing so, I would stop wildlife crime, mm -hmm. potentially for that family at least, because that woman would not cook the bushmeat and the guy wouldn't go out and hunt it if he knew he couldn't actually get the meat cooked for consumption. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know, I, I kind of tend to talk more about specific examples with the people that I work with that aren't in academia. Um, oh, so so were you technically an international student when you attended the GC? Yeah, I was, um, although I'd been living in the United States quite regularly, so it wasn't yeah. that foreign to me. <laughs> so, well, I was wondering about how you dealt with, um, how you figured out your like work situation while you were in graduate school. Meaning how did I know where to go and what my options were? Uh, yeah, actually, yeah. This is something that comes up a lot for our international students. They want to know, um, you know, what either what companies will sponsor, although I know that's hard to say, or um, just kind of where they should go to look or what paths might work for them as international Yeah, I mean, I guess I was always open to the idea that I would have had that I would have to go abroad somewhere to basically build my career, knowing that there were always so many risks with employment in the United States. Mm -hmm. um, I think one of the things that I did without meaning to was I ended up working on a, on a subject that was fairly cutting edge at the time that I graduated, um, because at that point, uh, the Obama administration had come out with uh, kind of a goal of fighting wildlife crime as part of one of the major White House initiatives. Uh, and it had been kind of wildlife crime and poaching had become more and more of a of an issue in the headlines and newspapers, et cetera. And it was very linked to development work that the U.S. government and a lot of other governments engage with on a regular level, on a regular day to day basis. Um, so I think without necessarily meaning to, I kind of positioned myself in a in a field that was going to be cutting edge, that was going to have opportunities opening up that would mean that I would be valuable to a lot of companies, even regardless of my nationality. I think I also just never really assumed that I would end up working in the United States. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to, but I knew that it would be complicated. Um, I got a lot of experience working with different organizations in the United States as a volunteer, which wasn't something, which was not a problem in terms of immigration status. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, even now it's a complicated question because I think 
even if I were to try to get a U.S. job at this point, it would still remain complicated despite quite a bit of a, quite a number of accomplishments and a fairly strong mm -hmm. career. So I think as an international student, I was, I guess I was very focused on kind of following my passion while being aware of what skill sets and what subject areas were kind of on the forefront in the U.S.'s mind and in companies that would be working in the U.S.'s mind. Mm -hmm. um, I also did really spend a lot of time doing a lot of work that wasn't necessarily all based in the U.S. I mean, every summer I often, when I was an undergraduate student, but even as a graduate student, I was involved back in my home country with various projects. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, you've told us where your home country is. Can you just that? <laughs> yeah, so I was, I, I'm originally from France, so I regularly okay. return to France over the summer. Yeah, I mean, I think it's tough as an international student to basically be able to predict the market and where you're going to find opportunities. I think what I saw with my colleagues was that if they were really aiming their career at something that was U.S. based, like a lot of colleagues that I had wanted to go into finance because they knew that the finance financial sector would really um, sponsor visas, etc. It didn't necessarily work out for them. I think for me, I just tended to focus more on building as international of a profile yeah. as possible. Yeah. Hoping that at one point or another, I would have sufficient interest from a company to really invest hiring me in the U.S. if I wanted to. Yeah. Um, and I also, to be fair, also spent a lot of time talking with immigration attorneys to see what I could and could do. Oh, <laughs> um, okay. So. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. So, so yeah, so you were really taking care of it um, and thinking ahead. That, that's great. Yeah, um, thinking ahead, but also just not limiting myself. I think if you focus yeah. too much on that, you end up yeah. pigeoning, pigeonholing yourself in ways that are probably unhelpful. So I think if I had focused yeah. only on looking for you know, pushing myself in every opportunity to to only pick the choices that would make me a good candidate for a U.S. job. I don't think I would have ended up with such a, a kind of uh, rounded profile and kind of international appeal. And it's the yeah. international appeal that I think helps me more than necessarily having targeted myself for the U.S. job market. Yeah, definitely. Let's go back to your volunteer work, because I, I feel like that is a really good way that you can still get exposure to jobs um, or to like work environment or, or to get job skills without actually taking on an official job. And so yeah. tell us a little bit about one that was valuable for you. Um, I guess I can think of two. One is I worked as a an intern for the New York City Department of Investigations, which is the kind of internal affairs um, bureau, I would say, for city employees. Uh, this was just an internship that I did during my PhD. I was looking for kind of practical work experience, and I did this throughout my PhD, where I was always working either on a practical research project that was unrelated to my PhD, um, or I was doing some sort of job as an intern somewhere in, you know, just mostly agencies that interested me or even just on subject matter that interested me. So I worked as an intern for um, an attorney that was working at DOI. And we, I spent about, I think, six months working there off and on, uh, just essentially doing research and investigative research on cases that they were working of different um, city employees that had committed different types of crimes or infractions. 
Uh, so that was one thing I did. I mean, it really wasn't related to my dissertation in any way because obviously yeah. it wasn't wildlife crime related. It wasn't even terrorism related, even though most of my research was focused on that. It was mostly just a way to kind of get an in and practical experience in something that was related to my field. And investigations obviously is a big part of criminal justice. I also, while I was doing all of this, I did something for fun, although fun is maybe the wrong word to use, but I worked as a um, domestic violence and uh, rape victim advocate in New York City uh, emergency rooms. Mm -hmm. And it was, I was looking for a volunteer opportunity, wasn't necessarily looking for something to build, you know, my, my skill set per se, but I had an interest in just volunteering because I enjoyed that. And I ended up being trained as a rape crisis counselor and going in about a couple times a month to work with survivors in emergency rooms. And I have to say that in terms of ability to react to crisis, to manage people's emotions, um, to be able to work in a high stress environment, and also to kind of take a step back from everything and being able to view a situation with kind of rationality, um, those were skills that I learned doing that volunteer opportunity that had nothing to do when I did it, yeah. I didn't realize that I was building skills I would use for my job. Yeah. Um, wow. I just did it because I enjoyed the work and because I knew that, you know, I had an interest in gender issues. I knew that I liked working in fast paced environments and that this was something that would challenge me. And I used those skills from that internship or volunteer opportunity probably more than any other that I any other kind of oh, wow. skills that I built during an internship that I purposefully chose to build my career. <laughs> Uh-huh. And could you tell us what, what organization would you go through for that if somebody else wanted to do something like that? So, I mean, the organization that I worked, uh, that I worked with was called uh, the Crime Victims Treatment Center, uh, mm -hmm. which is based out of New York City. To be fair, the way that I learned about all of these things, these sorts of opportunities, was usually through asking a faculty member who was, you know, who, if they had any kind of jobs or opportunity ideas that they had. Or, or organizations that they worked with. I mean, for South Africa, when I went to work on this game farm, I literally did an internet search for volunteer opportunities with wildlife yeah. abroad um, yeah. and just started contacting organizations and saying, I'm interested in doing this. Do you have any open positions? So a lot of it was through personal contacts and kind of also just chance because I just tried and something clicked. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of, I guess, the thing that drove me was an interest in something and wanting to understand something better. And once I got going and found something that I liked, it was the charisma and kind of the, the, the effort that I brought into doing the job that really kind of propelled me forward and helped me with my career later on. Like I still use a lot of the contacts in these organizations mm. um, on a probably weekly basis uh, to get advice from a professional standpoint, or even to make contacts with other people in that network. So yeah, I guess what I would say is that don't, I never, I always went with what I enjoyed without, with thinking in the back of my mind, okay, what skills am I building? You know, is this helpful to me overall? But I didn't always think, is this helpful to my career? And I didn't always go in with that as my first kind of uh, thing that I focused on. Like it was more led by passion, and then the people that I met. Mm. Yeah, it sounds amazing. I love how you're able to just, you know what, I'm going to try this. We're going to go for this and uh, you go for it. 
Okay, so usually we end with some kind of maybe some advice that you have, maybe words of encouragement for current students at the Graduate Center, whether they're finishing their master's or PhD. Do you have any advice? Maybe something that, that you wish you had been told earlier or? I think a couple of things. Okay. I think one is don't plan ahead, but don't don't try to plan too much ahead. <laughs> like yeah. make sure that you're you're taking opportunities that you have an interest in that are valuable, but you don't necessarily need to connect all the dots right away. I couldn't have told you when I started working for the Department of Investigations that I would then use the investigative skills I learned to do interviews in the field to understand hunter behavior in Vietnam. There's no way for me to have predicted that, but I know that it has helped me. So I would say, you know, always keep in mind what your end goal is in terms of career, but don't disregard an opportunity because it doesn't exactly fit into what you think is the trajectory to get there. Because I think a lot of times the way that you think about where, how you should be getting someplace is not the way you're going to get there. Mm, um, yeah. I guess the other thing I would say is never underestimate the importance of building connections with people. Um, and I'm not saying networking just for the sake of networking. Yeah. I'm saying you meet an interesting person at a conference, whether it be for personal reasons that you find them interesting or professional reasons, and you keep in touch. You never know how that person is going to be useful to you five years down the line without even meaning to be useful to you. Um, you just, you constantly come back in contact with people that you've seen before because that's the way the world works. <laughs> and just to have built that connection over anything um, is really valuable and means that they'll remember your name and they'll tell somebody else about you and all of a sudden you've got a much wider network than you ever thought you had. Um, mm. I mean, I can say that a lot of the jobs that I've not necessarily gotten, but that I've eventually broken into, they've been because somebody remembered my name from something random. <laughs> um, and so, so, you know, for example, when I worked in Congo, uh, I was given that job of wildlife crime technical advisor because a joint colleague who had worked on the same subject at a different university um, passed my name on to one of his contacts who then passed my name on to another contact and that's yeah. how the person that ended up hired me called me ah, <laughs> um, yeah. but I never met that other PhD student was just somebody I was friends with mm -hmm. um, I didn't you know continue that relationship to advance my career it was right. just somebody that right. I had affinities with uh -huh. um, so I think you know just kind of seeing people as humans and humans that are interesting to you and yeah. continuing those relationships for those reasons, then that builds a genuine network that eventually comes back to help you. Um, yeah. So yeah, I would think those would be kind of the main things. I guess the other yeah. thing is never underestimate the value of launching yourself into something you have absolutely no knowledge of yeah. <laughs> and just trying to swim. <laughs> for the most part, a lot of the jobs that I've taken, although I had the skill set to do them, I'd never either worked in that country or I'd never worked for that type of organization before. And the ability to just jump in and just do the best you can is probably one of the things that a lot of the people that I worked with have looked for as a skill set. Okay. Um, okay. You can't Great. ever plan ahead and have every skill that's necessary for the job and just being able to react well and learn from the experience is probably the most useful skill I have professionally.
I like that yeah. one. Yeah. Okay, great. Wow, yeah. Julie, you've shared so much good stuff with us. I'm very excited to um, add this episode to our collection. So if that's all, unless you have anything else you want to add, we can close out the interview for today. And I really want to thank you for sharing everything with us. Yeah, no problem. I think the only other thing I would uh, I would add is that when I started in this field, which is wildlife crime, there were probably, I would say, a handful of people that actually were as criminologists working on this, and everybody thought we were kind of crazy. Mm -hmm. And even my family was like, are you sure you're going to end up finding a job in this? <laughs> and it turns out that we made a good bet. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think it wasn't necessarily about betting on something. It was about the charisma that we brought to it made it a good bet um, because we loved what we were doing and that translated into strong work. Yeah. And therefore it became a field that is being recognized now more and more. So yeah. I just, I would, I would go for the crazy sometimes, I guess is what I would okay. say. <laughs> All right. I like that advice. So cool. um, we'll let you get back to your day and um, I hope to touch base with you soon. Sounds good. Thanks again to Julie for connecting with us all the way from Europe and sharing her story. If you'd like to discuss your potential career options, make an appointment with one of our career advisors or visit our website at cuny.is slash career plan. You can find a list of our upcoming events there and also follow us on Twitter at career plan GC. Thanks for listening.